Given the so-called crypto winter of 2022 and the recent FTX meltdown, digital assets have taken a beating during the past year. But even so, digital assets are approaching the 1 trillion mark in 2023. What does the new year hold for digital assets and financial services? And what are some of the other industries looking at from a digital assets perspective? Hello and welcome to the second edition of Web 3.0, a new podcast series where we explore the evolution of web technologies in financial services. This is Shankar Krishnan. I'm head of digital assets at Capgemini. And at Capgemini, we are responsible for the digital future of some of the world's greatest brands and financial services. In each episode, I speak with leaders and practitioners about their stories and experiences in fields such as the metaverse, blockchain, digital assets, decentralized finance, crypto, machine learning, AI, and more recently, ChatGPT. Together, we explore how technology is changing the financial services world and making it better and more profitable. Today's edition features Digital Assets CEO and co-founder, Yuval Roos. Prior to starting Digital Assets, Yuval managed an algo trading desk at DRW. Yuval also had a successful trading career at Citadel, and all of these experiences give Yuval a strong voice and a very unique perspective on everything capital markets and digital assets, past, present, and future. Welcome to the program, Yuval, and happy to have you here. Hey, thanks, Sankar. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You all, we live in very interesting times today. Uh, as I was referring to the crypto winter and closely followed by the recent collapse of FTX, there is a lot of negative sentiment on all things crypto. But that said, I think the real winners coming out of this are initiatives like DAML, blockchain, regulated crypto, and digital assets continue to be front and center to financial services. How do you see your company, Digital Assets and DAML, playing a role in shaping the future of financial services? And if you can share a little bit on what your company does and what DAML is all about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, I, I, I like uh, your term uh, regulated crypto. Not sure Not sure that uh, many <laughs> others would, uh, would like that, but uh, uh, let's move on. Um, so a digital asset, uh, we've been... Uh, focusing on, on building technology um, that helps uh, companies, for the most part, regulated uh, to bring efficiencies into the industries uh, which they operate in. Uh, those products uh, are uh, related to blockchain and crypto, but they're not necessarily um, uh, only um, those type of technologies. So it's, it's ledger-based technology that allows to synchronize uh, information in real time without, um, without uh, um, compromising uh, privacy and security. Uh, it is a smart contract language uh, that allows you really to uh, digitize um, all the way to the last uh, cash flow, uh, any type of instruments. Um, and we can talk later about what type of instruments we are working on today. And really, the, the goal for that is to create a, a global network uh, where companies can exchange assets, data, uh, as seamless as possible. Yeah. And uh, as a lot of the banks uh, today are uh, looking at what technologies are out there and uh, kind of decide on how to go about it, let us say I'm a capital markets uh, bank or an asset manager. How should I approach uh, 
the move towards uh, digital assets and time. I think I think we are in a world, you all, as you know, where everyone is a believer. But I think there is a lot of challenges in terms of what are the baby steps to take first to start a digital asset and move away from the traditional assets. So what is your recommendation on how, how should it be done? I like the question, um, but maybe let me try to uh, phrase it slightly different. I don't like um, this space of making digital assets become a brand new asset. Uh, and the reason for that is I think it creates a lot of confusion. And that's, in my opinion, why it causes a lot of regulators to say, well, I have a new asset here. How should I regulate it? Mm -hmm. I, I think that, generally speaking, the goal of technology is to bring efficiency. Mm -hmm. And we've seen over the years um, a lot of technology uh, enter the space of financial markets or insurance or any other markets to make assets become more and more digital, right? I mean, you work for a consulting firm that I'm sure in the last 10 years, uh, digitization have been a big part of your strategy. Mm -hmm. So to me, this technology and what we're working on is no different. It's how do you bring much more efficiency? So when I say digital asset, it's not really that we're creating a new type of asset. It's just that we're taking your traditional financial instruments and we're saying, if you really want to get the maximum benefit of the efficiencies that you can harvest, uh, you know, managing these assets, you want to make sure that they are digital front to back. Mm -hmm. Meaning uh, when at inception, uh, there's no paper, everything could be represented digital. Um, all of the life cycle events of the assets are digital. All of the life cycle events of the assets are known to anybody who holds the asset and, and a bond could take the form of a digital asset. But, but at the end of the day, it is still a bond. Financially, there is no difference. It just makes the asset significantly more efficient. And I think we can explore uh, later on in the podcast, what are some of these efficiencies? So, you know, sometimes people ask me, you know, can you define uh, digital assets and are they the same as crypto assets? Uh, to me, digital assets is an umbrella term. It's an asset that has been born digital. Uh, it is digital front to back. Uh, and then crypto asset is uh, a subset of digital assets. It's mm -hmm. a unique type of asset. It doesn't have a centralized issuer. Um, it has other characteristics, but it's just one other type of a, of a digital asset. Thanks for the clarification. So one question I had here was, this was the last week uh, we were at a very large bank and they uh, operate, uh, you know, they had a structured finance group and the way they were handling that, their question to us was, look, we are a traditional bank. We have all these uh, traditionally originated loans that we are uh, collateralizing. And then obviously we are reissuing some of these uh, paper as well. And obviously a lot of that is traditionally done, right? So we have emails, we have legal reviews, we have all of that. Now, uh, like a large institution like this, as it morphs into automating all of this, what are some of the initial steps it has to take? It's really um, analyzing the life cycle of the asset uh, and really the, the structure of the asset. Um, and what I mean by that is um, 
understanding, um, you know, where are the, um, um, the friction points uh, in the asset, either creation or its management through its life cycle. And, and the reason why that is important is because um, a lot of times people think, oh, I'm just going to describe a bond. Uh, but then they don't think about, well, what are the inefficiencies of creating the bond or what are the inefficiencies of managing the bond throughout its life cycle? Who are the different type of parties that then would have to integrate into this new network or this new issuance? And, and, and I totally agree with you, Sankar. I mean, sometimes you see a lot of people that just because of the uh, marketing and the hype are so excited to enter the space but then, you know, um, don't do the hard work of really analyzing uh, the asset. Um, and, and when they go and they invest a lot of money into the development of an implementation, but then are having a very hard time actually bringing it uh, to life. So to me, there's an element of regulation, which is really just binary. Can you actually have a fully digital asset? That's that's one thing. Uh, and, and that's... Uh, usually easy to analyze. And then it's really just thinking about um, the different stages of the asset, um, issuance, life cycle events, and then end of life, and understand where are the friction points in any one of those steps, who are the critical players that partake in any one of those steps, uh, and then doing no different than any business case analysis of, first of all, does it even make sense to digitize this asset, and and if you do, where where do you get started? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and uh, a lot of uh, investors uh, in digital assets are uh, some of the best brands in financial services, and it's good to see the work uh, leading edge work done by Goldman, JPMC, HSBC, City, to name a few, uh, who are exploring this uh, uh, and having a lot of successes, and 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 a lot of them work with you, so. One question I have, uh, Yuval, is what is uh, so spe- you know special about Tamil, and what I mean by that is, uh, what are some of the unique characteristics of Tamil that gives it uh, uh, such a credibility in the market? And is it is as a code? I mean, is it like code light? And uh, how easy is it really for a bank to engage uh, using Tamil? I mean, obviously, all the banks have large technology groups, and is this something new that is difficult to learn, or is it just uh, easy to pick up and run, if you can share some light on that, please. Yeah, um, so the the way to think about it is um, when you start thinking about financial instruments, um, whether it's, like I said, a bond, a structured product, a life insurance, a healthcare claim, what you start realizing is that these instrument even though when you think about what they represent and what they do seems simple, when you actually start thinking about all the different, you know, hands that they go through or the eyes that need to look at the state that they are in and making sure that all types of uh, unique conditions are met uh, and cannot be invalidated, you start realizing that this, you know, a simple financial instrument is a very, very complex multi-party application. And, you know, because there are uh, really important financial consequences uh, for, um, you know, for getting it right, 
or there could be uh, real financial consequences for getting it wrong. Um, you know, it's hard to build these these systems uh, that share a source of truth and, as a result, uh, uh, eliminate reconciliation in a way that um, is correct using traditional traditional software. So, what demo has done is really try to say how can a developer really focus on just defining the characteristic of a financial instrument without having to understand how the system under the hood is going to share the data amongst all the different uh, parties in real time, how it's going to synchronize data in real time. And by doing that have made, at least in our opinion, the technical challenge of creating these systems significantly simpler. That, that, that's really the, maybe the, the, the pitch for demo. It's not, it's not um, uh, a no-code platform or a low-code platform. You still need to code. Uh, there's still a lot of code to write. But what we believe we've created is the ability to write uh, much cleaner code that really just focus on the rights and obligations and the different parties that are associated with a financial instrument and reduce the level of complexity to the average developer. Um, So a lot of times people ask me, so uh, can a bank analyst um, write demo code? Probably not. Um, You need to still be a developer. But what I will say is that I do believe that a bank analyst can look at demo code and actually understand what it does, right? So once someone actually wrote the code, uh, you know, we have a lot of product people uh, that are not technical working together with engineers to actually verify that what the engineer have tried to capture in terms of the definition of the asset uh, is correct. Absolutely. We are going to see the rise of central bank digital currencies, as, as you know, uh, uh, Singapore, Dubai, Saudi Arabia, some parts of Latin America, they have all launched it. Uh, ECB uh, is about to launch it. Uh, so is the UK. So obviously we have a reasonably uh, strong CBDC uh, proposition as well as, uh, you know, how, how to design it and so on and so forth. What are some of the things you are seeing from a central bank digital currency? I mean, and, and what uh, opportunities uh, does Daml have uh, in that area? We are very engaged in tokenization. I personally don't love that term, but but it is, again, back to that first question, it is all about um, digitizing assets, traditional assets, um, and, and making them you know, fully digital front to back. And I think that we're seeing already the results of, of those initiatives. Um, if it's uh, Broadridge uh, that have effectively tokenized collateral, and is moving collateral in real time much more efficient, uh, efficiently for repo transaction, uh, which is how banks finance each other overnight. Um, there, because of the management of collateral in a much more efficient manner, um, you know the banks that have joined their platform, uh, which is called DLR, um, distributed ledger repo, mm-hmm. um, are seeing uh, millions of dollars saved at the bottom line. Uh, they are actually managing their capital more efficiently and as a result uh, can deploy more capital for other initiatives. Um, we see uh, Clearstream, um, which is owned by Deutsche Bors, uh, 
launched their new CSD D7 uh, using the technology. Uh, and they started with structured products. And you're seeing some of their uh, customers are quoting numbers all the way from 24 hours to three days uh, turned down, went down to, I, th I think they're quoting now nine minutes mm -hmm. uh, for issuance. And, and the products that they um, uh, issue uh, are supposed to capture uh, volatility. Um, so uh, we know that volatility can change quite dramatically in three days. So the ability now to, to, to capture and issue these assets effectively in real time is a massive benefit to customers. Um, you have Goldman who uh, issued um, you know, the EAB bond um, also five to real time, five days to real time. And we're going to see more and more of these efficiencies, uh, whether it's reconciliation costs going down, it's the real-time nature of transactions. Um, and, you know, you're going to see it in uh, capital markets, if it's uh, issuance of assets, if it's uh, life cycle event management of assets, if it's movement of collateral in real time. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to keep on adding more and more use cases. Um, and then you're going to go into insurance, healthcare, uh, entertainment, sports wagering. I mean, there are uh, just endless amount of opportunities because at the end of the day, all of these industries um, manage financial assets. And those financial assets um, uh, require quite uh, uh, diligent uh, management. Uh, and if you could uh, share information in real time, knowing that it's accurate without compromising for privacy, um, there's massive amount of efficiencies to be gained. Absolutely. No, we are seeing this uh, part of our consulting for uh, pick up very well, uh, you all. And then uh, obviously the other initiative that we are very busy with is clearing uh, and settlement around the world, uh, approaching T minus one and T minus zero and things. And I think with all the automation and technology efficiencies you, you explained should be useful to capital markets participants even there, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one question I had with so much automation, and obviously you have created something here which needs a lot of domain. So unless you, uh, you know, as creators of Daml, if you didn't have the domain, it would have been very difficult to get all this done. How important are people to you and uh, digital assets? Obviously with uh, at CAP, we have put it as one of our foremost pillars in which we are investing and building. But being in the business of technology automation, how important are people to an organization like you? I, I love I love that question. And, and maybe let me try to break it into two components. So first of all, if you enter into a space um, such as this, where you want to transform industries or businesses, I don't see how you do that without having an appreciation or an understanding of that industry. And to do that, you need to have people that you know, can do uh, a bit more than just you know, tweeting how they're going to change the world. They, they need to have also the appetite, the hunger, and uh, the, the knowledge to actually understand, well, what is the capability of the technology in the space? I understand the industries that we want to improve and how do I apply the technology? And, and that's why having the right people is critical. Very well said, yeah, go on. To the second part of your question, 
technology makes our life uh, more efficient in many, in most cases sometimes it doesn't but in most cases that's that's really the goal is to improve our our quality of life and i think that um, it's important to remember that the people are the ones that create the technology my view is you know a startup is supposed to be able to achieve uh, what big companies do with you know 10x uh, the number of people and one of the reasons that we could do that is because we also start from a clean slate and we don't have a lot of legacy but second of all it's also having people that are hungry and motivated uh, to show up every day uh, at work and, and do more uh, on average and um, in order to do that um, you know um, a lot of people think that the only way to do that is by um, paying a lot of money and giving a lot of stock options that eventually will be worth you know a lot of money and although that is an important component of the equation from my perspective uh, there is no replacement for motivation uh, and motivation comes only uh, if you feel appreciated and challenged so to me the nice thing about it is that it's first of all the right thing to do it's to treat your uh, fellow colleagues and and people uh, you know, with respect and and to empower them. It's just generally speaking the way that I like to to manage. Yeah, and and speaking of financial conditions and the economy, obviously, uh, we saw the Fed kind of raise uh, fifty basis points and all this debate on is it inflationary, is it stagflationary, it's recessionary. But but the good news we are seeing is that uh, a lot of the large banks, especially, are staying the course on their tech investments, and obviously we are a leading provider in the space across cloud data, AI, and, uh, you know, blockchain, and so on and so forth. What are some of the things you're hearing from uh, the leadership at banks? I mean, given the economic environment, uh, uh, obviously in the U.S. it's a lot better than Europe. What are you hearing? Are they going to continue this uh, pursuit of getting better? Listen, I think we are heading towards an economic downturn which is just a continuation of what we've seen over the last six to nine months. And what are companies going to do? So first of all, what you're seeing is that a lot of companies are unfortunately cutting jobs. That's the first thing that they will do. But then the second thing that they will do is, are there opportunities to make our business more efficient and more streamlined? And I think that's an opportunity for this space. But I think that again, if you don't do a good job articulating that value proposition and you don't do a good job showing that you could capture that efficiency in a financially feasible manner, then the next two years will be challenging. So for me, that's really what I'm focusing on. And yes, we are seeing customers that are continuing and are even doubling down because they are looking at this space and are seeing already the opportunities. So there are those companies that are already in production and have already seen the value captured and the efficiencies gained. Absolutely. We, we are seeing similar things, you all. And uh, last, I mean, this year, uh, 2022 has been an excellent year, uh, especially on all things financial services, decentralized finance, and, and across all the verticals. And, we, uh, you know, with a lot of things going into production this year, hopefully next year, the ramp up of that would give uh, of these banks and capital markets provider a lot more uh, efficiency gains. 
Thank you so much, Yuval, for sharing part of your day with us. Thank you so much for taking the time. If you have found this podcast informative, please subscribe to our Banking, Payments and Wealths podcasts on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and other podcast apps. If you're interested in listening to more Capgemini Financial Services podcasts, don't forget our Insurance Insights channel. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by Capgemini Financial Services. Have a wonderful day, everybody.